This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You only get tested maybe at this level once in four years, you know what I mean? You got a balls to kick them. So England in possession. And it shoots it away again. Toby Flood. This is not soccer. This is not soccer. Because in either game, life or rugby, the margin for error is so small. Hello again, I'm Brendan O'Brien and with me is my Irish Examiner colleague Simon Lewis and uh, just like last time we're sitting here on the 43rd floor of the Akura Hotel in Hamamatsu which Simon has just informed me was designed to look like a harmonica. Thanks for that Simon. We're in a musical city. We are. The Museum of Musical Instruments was where Japan had their um, press conference yesterday so we've seen precious little evidence of music since we've been here a couple Uh, of butchered karaoke songs perhaps but but apart from that yeah well we'll 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 karaoke again at some stage so today's show is brought to you by the 100% electric nissan leaf ireland's best-selling electric car that could save your family thousands every year visit evsavings.ie to see just how much you can save by switching to 100% electric nissan leaf today nissan innovation that excites so Simon it's our first week outside of uh, the Tokyo metropolitan area and uh, I don't know how many people I've told in the past when they visited Ireland you know if you want to see Ireland get outside Dublin get outside the big cities so what what have you made of Hamamatsu and the Shizuoka prefecture so far well I have to say I actually enjoyed Tokyo and Yokohama but it is good to get out and um, we've seen some some green for the first time apart from on island shirts Um yeah, we got the bullet train down some a few days ago now. I can't remember. It's, it's all merged into one. But here we are in Hamamatsu, as we said, musical city. Um, it's been good. I mean, it's a it's by Japanese standards a small place, only eight hundred thousand people. Tiny backwater. Tiny backwater, exactly. You don't like it much, do you? Uh, it's it's grown on me a little bit, yeah. Um, you say we've seen a bit of green, but I actually Google mapped the place before we arrived and. Trying to find somewhere green on it was really, really difficult. Um, it's just a bit drab, really. But it's like it's like what I imagine all Japanese cities are like now. It kind of just comes to life at night with the neon lights and the bars and restaurants, which, of course, we haven't seen too many of. But um, yeah, Just reports. It, just reports. <laughs> but uh, I had an interesting... Listen, when you come from Northampton, <laughs> you take what you can get. I love Hammam, actually. <laughs> I'm from Port Leash, so I'm not going to say anything. So um, I had an interesting morning this m- morning. This morning, um, went out and met the mayor of Fukuroi, Hideyuki Harada, who was sitting in the council chambers in his Ireland top. And it turned out that the mayor has been mayor for nineteen years. Oh. He's been elected six times, and by God, a half an hour in his company, and you can see why. The man knows how to play a hand. 
So um, wearing the Ireland jersey, he was asked, um, will you be wearing that tomorrow for the game? And he says, um, I will have to wear my Japanese jersey, but my heart is green. And you're like, oh my God, this guy is good. This guy is really good. And after that, we went to the Kazusai Temple, which was a very, very interesting look at um, the monks and how they lived their lives and this coexistence of Shinto and Buddhism. Um, I won't go any, any I was just about to ask you, what's the difference between Shinto and Buddhism? I was, I was terrified you were going to ask that question. We'll move on swiftly. There's a game tomorrow that we have to talk about. Um, huge game. Huge, huge game. Fit, nearly 51,000 uh, capacity at Coppa Stadium in Shizuoka, which which we saw today. Um, it's It's been set up nicely, really, hasn't it? I mean, it's it's like last week in a way that Ireland are expected to win this. Uh, for a lot of people, it'll be how much they win it by. But there's there's a lot of talking points from the Irish side this week, isn't there? Yeah, I, mean, I think the fact that it's a huge game rests an awful lot on the fact that it's a massive occasion. Um, Japan, obviously, the host nation, um, the hopes of a nation carrying with them, not necessarily completely au fait with the game of rugby, but um, as we've seen from their, their excitement at court lineouts and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's going to be a massive occasion. Um, Japan have been talking this game up a lot. Um, they've obviously targeted this game. They've named a strong side, even if they have dropped Michael Leach, their captain, to the bench. I think part of that's due to... Uh, lack of game time and just coming back from injury. But it is it is the focus of everyone's attention here. And Ireland, in fairness, have got on with things themselves. They've kept a low profile, let Japan do the talking. Um, and there's been an awful lot of that. But um, yeah, they've named a strong side, um, a more experienced side than the one that started against uh, Scotland last Sunday. Um, and it's potentially uh, as good, I think, as last week, as last week, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the obvious the obvious starting point is is Jack Carty in. Um, it's a meteoric rise, really, isn't it? His Test debut last February. Um, I was I was heard I heard uh, during the day. He he wasn't even in the match day twenty three when Connacht were winning their Pro Twelve title a few years ago. Mm. I mean, this is a guy who has come from absolutely nowhere. Um, I've been very impressed with him, not just as a player, but off the pitch. He comes across as a very grounded guy. Um, he doesn't seem like somebody who's going to be nervous. You saw the impact he had when he came on against Scotland last week. Little grubber kick played through. He's a guy who kind of backs himself, isn't he? And and I, I personally would be quite confident of his ability to to do a job for Ireland. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you listen to Joe Schmidt and you'd think, why is Sexton starting ever? <laughs> of course. <laughs> but... Um, but he, he seems to have an all-round game in the Sexton mould. He takes the ball to the line. He's, he's in, in, an, in, an innovative mm. kicker. Um, and, and he's got a good running game as well. Carberry, you don't think of so much as a tactical kicker, although he has put some very good uh, uh, kicks for both Munster and Ireland in. But um, Carty seems to be a level-headed. He's 27. He's no... He's mm. no young kid on the block either yeah. and um I, yeah he can he conducts himself very well he um he he's surrounded by loads of experience he's got Conor Murray as his halfback partner this shouldn't be you know a game that he can come unstuck in if you know what I mean yeah yeah um I, I suppose one of the other talking points is Chris Farrell comes in again and and 
like Jack Carty last week in Yokohama, I mean, what, what a performance he put in. I mean, he was close to man of the match um, in a lot of people's eyes. And again, Chris Farrell is somebody, I mean, you talk about Jack Carty and let's face it, he's the third choice out half, so it's not ideal. Um, you look at Chris Farrell, I mean, really, when people talk about the Ireland centre partnerships in the last couple of years, it's always been a kind of a trio of Bundy Aki, Gary Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw. And Chris Farrell was always the guy who was kind of mentioned as the last guy who, you know, in, ca- number four. in case in case of emergency break, yeah. break class. And yet he's never let Ireland down. I mean, you know, how good is Chris Farrell? You've seen him play a lot for Munster in, in recent years. Yeah, well, he hasn't had really a fair shake of the dice in terms of injuries since he's he's come to Munster from Grenoble. Obviously, he left Ulster as a as a kid, twenty one years old, because he was getting injured so much. Um, made his name really in the top fourteen. Saw a sniff of getting back into the island fold or getting into the island fold for the first time. Came back to Munster and he's been vindicated. Here he is. Um, played sixty minutes of a, a World Cup opener against Scotland excelled as you suggested and um i think you know i don't think joe schmidt would ever have penciled him in first as as his choice for inside center bundyaki has clearly got that nailed down um i don't think it was ever their intention to start aki this weekend i think they're saving him for for more um bigger things to come down through the pool stage and because he had a, a, a lot of minutes under his belt this summer. But Farrell's there on merit, absolutely. Um, he, he's not... Then they're, they're not going to be carrying him, put it that way. He's 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 a strong, big guy, but he's got an awful lot more for a, for a big man, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> he's not exactly Peter Crouch, but he's... Um, yeah, he's... He's he's got an impressive array of talents, and I think you know he's confident as well, and he feels confident in in his surroundings. He gets on well with all these all these centre partners. He's played with them all at this stage, and uh, as you say, he's never let them down. I don't think he's actually lost in an Ireland jersey. That's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, you look at those two guys, Jack Harty and Chris Farrell, and you add them to Jordan Larmer. Andrew Conway last last week. I mean, we are really seeing, I suppose, the fruits of Joe Schmidt blooding a lot of guys in the last couple of years. I mean, I think he, he gave out eight new caps in, in the summer tour two years ago when they went to the States and came to Japan. So we're seeing the benefits of that. And yet, I suppose, one of the other main personnel talking points going into this game is the return of Rob Carney and, and Keith Earls. And these are two guys, and Carney spoke about this during the week, about wanting to see Jordan Larmer do well, but not too well. I mean, it's been really put up to these two guys after last week, hasn't it? Yeah, and just before we leave Jack Carty, i just point out, he's only actually made one start, and that was this summer against Wales in Cardiff. So there is still a lot of, for him to prove in this game, uh, make no mistake. But I think we both agree that we think he's capable. Anyway, Carney and Earls. Yeah, Joe Schmidt was asked at the team announcement on uh, Thursday whether what he wanted to see from Carney and Earls, given the performances of, of Lama and Conway. And he said, the same energy. Now, for two old men, relatively <laughs> speaking, that might be a little difficult. But I think we both know that what we've seen... We, Earls doesn't need to prove anything at this stage, nor does Carney. And Carney looked really sharp in that final game against Wales. He picked up a calf twinge, I think we can call it, um, last week as, as Ireland arrived in Japan. Um, Earls brought a knee injury with him, um, but by all accounts, 
listening to the island the island squad he's been very sharp in training and he's he's got the experience he listens to his body now we we went through that in depth this week when he spoke to us and um they're they're two very safe dependable guys now Carney or Lama Carney is obviously more your functional fullback as opposed to the x factor but he's he's shown a bit of adventure against Wales he scored a try he's looked really good i think Definitely, yeah. Um, you look at those guys as well. Um, turning to Japan, sorry, um, they've been talking big all week. The Japanese, we've, yeah, we've yeah. both we've both been at the Japanese press conferences, and for for the likes of us guys and and all of the the traveling media core this week, it's been kind of jaw dropping stuff when we're used to you know media media trained guys <laughs> saying nothing, talking about living in a bubble. I mean, just to recap some of the things that the Japanese have said. Um, we've had one player saying that Ireland would look down in Japan. We've had another um, suggest that Keane Healy is basically doing all sorts of illegal shenanigans He's at the scrum. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, something which Jamie Joseph um, basically reiterated mm. um, yesterday. Uh, we've had one come out with a flat-out prediction of a seven-point win for Japan and uh, Matsushima said he'll score two tries. I mean, this is, um, it's kind of unprecedented. And funnily enough, um, in some of the Japanese media this week as well, they seem to be taking exception to, to us, to the Irish media, for, for leading questions. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think you see it in, in, in the Japanese press conferences. It's very obvious. The scrum coach was up on Monday, and literally 20 minutes of questions and answers were on the, the scrum. Mm. Um, and if a winger is up, it'll all be about back three play and, and everything else. Just a cultural difference. But there is a little bit of... Um, Annoyance, I think it's fair to There's say, no with the Irish media. Brush strokes in the, in their their they they it's as if they all decide we're going to write about this tomorrow, and then they they double down on it every single question, isn't it? And we, we sit there and they come out with some some outrageous stuff in a way, and we're just looking at each other saying, "Did that really happen? <laughs> Did he really say that?" Uh, yeah, but but if if one person is likely to back up their words, it's Katara Matsushima mm. hat trick against Russia. Looked very sharp, very good. He scored a try against Ireland on the 2017 tour. He's the one guy you'd have to worry about actually matching action with words. Yeah, exactly. And it, look, it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out because Joe Schmidt has spoken um, in the t- at the team announcement about maybe Ireland playing with a bit more width um, this time as opposed to Scotland, weather permitting. And we obviously know that Japan will try to play it fast and loose and get Ireland moving. It's going to be hot and heavy again. A lot of humidity in Shizuoka again um, tomorrow. So it'll be interesting to see how it play out. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah and, and just another comment that came out of the Japanese camp that during one of these press conferences that seemed to go on forever, <laughs> it has to be said. But um, they, um, I forget which player it was, but said, oh, yeah, Ireland defend very narrowly. Um, we, we'll, we'll attack them around the outside edges. Schmidt must have heard that because he made a point of saying, as you suggest, that they'll be playing with more width. Yeah. You can't always play with width. None of this earning the right to go wide stuff. Sometimes the conditions yeah. don't permit, and they certainly didn't against uh, Scotland in Yokohama on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, earlier today I spoke to Rich Freeman, who was um, a rugby reporter living here in Japan, just to get his take on basically what Ireland can expect from Japan in this game and um, how the tournament in general has gone down to Japanese people in the last week. 
Okay, so I'm here with Rich Freeman, a rugby reporter with Kyoto News. We're at Shizuoka Stadium. Did I pronounce that right, Rich? You did indeed, yes. Very, very good. good. Very, I've been in country a couple of weeks now, so I'm, I'm doing well. So, Rich, um, maybe just kind of sum this one up for us. I mean, from an Irish point of view, we're looking at this as a game against the hosts. Scotland are down the line, which to the neutral observer looks like a more gettable win for, for Japan. So, are Japan going all in for this tomorrow? It looks like they are. I mean... In the past, Japan have sort of taken two separate courses. Under John Kerwin, they would rest a lot of players for what they potentially thought were must-win games. Eddie Jones, as we obviously saw with South Africa, decided to just play his best team whenever they, whenever he could. And I think that's what Jamie Joseph is doing tomorrow. He's playing his best team. The idea being that obviously he wants to win, but I think you know if they were to keep Ireland to 15 points, get the confidence going because they play Samoa after that, and Samoa are no mugs. Then it's Scotland, so I think it's best team tomorrow to keep the confidence going. So Jamie Joseph has explained um, Leach on the bench as um, he wants the experienced guys coming in. If they are within touching distance at the end, that he wants that experience. Is, is that can we take that at face value? Is that what he's doing? I think we saw that in the first game. You had Thompson and Tanaka, two very very experienced players coming on. I mean, obviously Japan struggled early on with the nerves but towards the second half they just calmed it all down a bit with guys like as I say Thompson's got 68 caps to his name Tanaka's about the same and you look at the form of the back row as well I mean Lapis Lapishagni was outstanding Kazuki Himeno was man of the match from the Japan players point of view so when Maffi was coming back he's the number one strike runner you need him to get a bit of game time before he plays against Samoa I thought it was the obvious choice was to you know put Leach on the bench. So where are Japan going to actually hurt Ireland tomorrow? I think the only way Japan can really ever hurt any team really is to play that fast brand of rugby, look for space, attack the space. The kicking game, I don't know if it's going to work against Ireland. I mean, they're masters at the kicking game themselves and I'm sure they know how to return a kick. I think the only way Japan will do well is create space and look for guys like Matsushima to score. I mean, he's predicted he's going to score two tries. We'll see. The Japanese guys have been very um, upfront all week, and maybe it's just us coming from a European perspective where players are so media trained and, and don't say anything. We've had guys talking about Ireland looking down on them, questions about illegal scrummaging, predictions that they're going to win by six or seven points. Is this normal in, in, in Japanese society or in Japanese rugby? Uh, short answer is no. <laughs> um, the media training, they don't have an awful lot of here. So, I mean, you know, Kizu's a young kid, he's never probably even spoken English in a media. Environment before. A lot of it, though, I think is playing up to what Eddie Jones tried to get in. Was in the past, Japan would go in with the mindset of playing the foreign teams as, oh, we're smaller, we're not as good, we're going to lose. There was the famous press conference where Eddie Jones really had to go at Hirose, the, the former Japan captain, for laughing because he had that awkward, embarrassed laugh at Japan underperforming. Eddie brought in the mindset is you can beat anybody. Jamie's taken that on. The players have also played four years of super rugby now, so they, they're used to playing foreign sides. They now think and know that they are capable of winning. Obviously, it's pretty brash to, to turn around and say, I'm going to score two against Ireland, but he said he was going to score three against Russia, and he did. So Exactly, and it's great to see from a media point of view, isn't it? It's fantastic for us guys. We've, we've had plenty to report this week. Just in terms of the tournament in general, finally then, um, we're here on the ground and, and there's that famous Con Hulahan, uh quote, an Irish journalist who said, I can't remember Italian 90 because I was there. Because you don't really get that sense of a tournament when you're inside it. But as best as you can, you've been in Japan a long time. How has the country taken to it? 
unbelievable. I mean, just, you know, even pre-tournament, you, saw, you know, we heard there were 7,000 at the All Blacks training. We're like, wow, that's amazing. And then two days later, Wales get 15,000 at an open training session. Look on the TV every morning. It's rugby, 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 which would never happen before. And, and they're looking at all aspects of rugby. I mean, the other day they were sitting there talking to the All Blacks about the ramen they like to eat. And then they were trying to explain what buffalo is when you go out drinking. So, I mean, they're, they're embracing the whole society, you know, the whole sport. And it's just great to see. So you think what's the, what's the most likely result for Japan tomorrow? My heart said it would be great to see Japan win, but my head says if they had to keep it to 15 points, avoid injuries, and keep the confidence going for Samoa and Scotland, I think that would be job well done. That's great, Rich. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so that was Rich Freeman um, filling us in on the Japanese side of things ahead of um, Japan-Ireland at the Shizuoka Stadium Ekopa, I think, as it says on the official team sheet here. Uh, Well, looking at the tournament at large, Simon... um, we kind of said it the last time when we were on, we were going to enter a bit of a lull period after the the opening three games. And it has been that. I mean, you know, Uruguay's defeat of Fiji has kept the thing ticking along. But um, the games have been outshone because there's been a lot of one-sided games, as we predicted, as everybody predicted. Um, and in its place in the spotlight is high tackles and the failure, basically, of referees time and again to hand out the appropriate punishments. Um do we think it's going to change? Um, is, it, is what World Rugby said during the week when there was an admittance that the standards haven't been as high as they should be? Is this something that can change? I mean, referees have got plenty of um, education on this matter, um, all the processes they have to go through, and yet we still get to a stage where you know, you and I or anybody else can sit in the press box or in the stand or in a bar and say, that's definitely a red card. And then... What seems to me a lot of the time happens is you have this very human reaction of talking themselves out of something. And the more people that lend a hand, whether it's referees or assistant referees or TMOs, they kind of lapse into a, a fudge. Um, so where where do we go from here? I mean, do, do they ask different yeah. questions? What goes on? I think I think the fact that it, it, this has been going on all summer, since the, since the decision was made to rightly focus on, on high tackles, um, we got the Scott Barrett incident during the the rugby championship and questions there and and I think the problem is world rugby came out pre-tournament and said we've got the best set of referees ever we're going to be the most consistent referees in a tournament ever seen and we're going to really clamp down on high tackles and as we saw from the first well Saturday last Saturday morning like a few hours after Japan had kicked off the tournament, Reese Hodge goes and shoulder first on uh, the unfortunate Yato Paselli and of Fiji, and and we're off and running. The referee didn't take any action, and he's since been banned for three games. So I think there's been a number of incidents since, particularly in that Samoa Russia game, mm-hmm. where there's been all sorts going on that hasn't been picked up by referees. And it prompted world rugby to come out with that statement, which is extraordinary in, it, it in really the fact is. that they heard yeah. this publicly, yeah. their dissatisfaction performance is not consistently of the standard set by world rugby and themselves, the officials It's quite a strong thing. And it puts a lot of pressure on referees. Mm-hmm. Now, as Joe Schmidt said during the week, when asked about, about this, you know, 
there's only one reaction to that, and that is to do as you're told after you've been told off. <laughs> um, certainly if it's Joe Schmidt telling you off, but World Rugby as well. These guys are employed by World Rugby. They've been told to get their act together. And I think this weekend we will we, we'll see more on-field decision-making of a, a more strident nature, shall we say. We've got Angus Gardner refereeing Ireland-Japan tomorrow. He was in the firing line for his handling of France-Argentina. Uh, certainly from the Argentine side, so you know these guys are under pressure, and they're gonna they're gonna have to react. Yeah, and I, I think you know it, it's been kind of depressing, really. Like you said, this was stated during the summer. I mean, it's been said for a number of years. You go back to the the day um, the All Blacks basically went to town in Ireland in in the Aviva Stadium, and the outcry about yeah, that. It, 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 this is this is going on the whole time, and yet. For me, as as disappointing and frustrating as the actual incidents that have not been picked up by the referees is the reaction of a lot of very high-profile people in the world of rugby, and Clive Woodward being the most obvious, I would say, um, basically saying certain tackles, which everybody from a health and safety point of view are saying, that should be a red card. We have other people saying, you know, that the usual crap, basically. It's a man's game, and this needs to be... It's amazing yeah. that we're still hearing it's, this. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, but I think more more importantly, the guys on the ground, like Tony Brown this week, the Japan attack coach, former All Black, said, "Can he actually turned the press conference on its head and and asked journalists in in at the press conference, can you tell me what happened last night in Samoa versus Russia? Mm-hmm. You know, two dangerous high tackles that should have been red, and a guy and a punch in the head." You know, can you please explain this? It's like the 1970s all over again. Like, you know, there there are no rules. You you get away with it. It, It's amazing to think we're in a, a, you know, an era now with, you know, multiple cameras, Mm. TMOs, referees all mic'd up, and this this stuff is still happening, you know. People talk about culture change that's needed, and I, I don't know, maybe that's still... Maybe things still haven't hit home in that sense, but mm. but this is this is something that whether it improves or it doesn't improve is going to be a talking point for for the rest of the the tournament, I would imagine. But just looking back on the last five days, I suppose since we did talk, I mean, you know, Fiji Uruguay stands out, but apart from that, it's been a kind of um, well predictably one sided week between the minute the haves and the have nots, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we saw um, England have brushed aside Canada. Uh, last night fairly convincing USA sorry sorry USA yeah Canada got hockeyed by uh, Italy didn't they Mm. Um, yeah Samoa beat up Russia and then put 34 points on them so (laughs) you know Wales pretty comprehensively um, destroyed Georgia inside 40 minutes and then maybe took their feet off the pedal a a little bit there have been one-sided games it is still a game of the haves and have-nots and just going back to the refereeing you'd hope that at least the refereeing is consistent for Tier 1 and Tier 2 countries because certainly the scoreboards aren't. Yeah, and, you know, brilliant as Uruguay was up in Kashimi, um, you know, what a multiple-angle story that was from the venue and everything that happened there and Uruguay just beating Fiji. If there's a little nag in the back of your mind, it's the fact that we had such hopes for for Fiji in the first place that maybe they could upset the apple cart. And you look at the tournament now, and I think a lot of people are, are already looking ahead to the last round to Japan-Scotland. I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here with, with Ireland playing them. But it's that sense that there's so very few opportunities for a genuine shock in a Rugby World Cup. And Fiji, 
I mean, four days after the Australia game as well, it was always going to be a struggle for them, but it, it's a it's a slight disappointment. But we've a better weekend coming up, I think. We've we've a couple of tasty games, not quite uh, Springboks and All Blacks. So, um, well, nothing's going to live up to that, is it? But um, Ireland, Japan, Australia, Wales, Saturday and Sunday, Scotland versus Samoa. Now, Samoa have, with all their injuries and potential suspensions, given that. You know, we should be thankful that there are sighting commissioners in place to mop up the mess referees make. So there's there's three. One player's got a, a three match ban already. He'll miss. That's the end of his World Cup because Samoa aren't going through. But um, that could be an upset there, perhaps if uh, there's no reaction from Scotland. So there's plenty to look forward to. Let's not be too downbeat about this. We're at a World Cup. Who, who's downbeat? Please come on. <laughs> well, someone is in this no, room. No, but no, no, uh, no. I love Hamamatsu. Yeah, so do I. Let's go and explore it more, Bryn. Yeah, so next next stop for us after the weekend is uh, Kobe, so uh, some nice juicy steaks on the way as well. I would certainly hope so. Okay, Simon, well, thanks for joining us again. Um, you've been listening to the Irish Examiner Rugby World Cup podcast with the Nissan Leaf, the world's best-selling electric vehicle. Book a test drive today at nissan.ie. Nissan, innovation that excites. <laughs> When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.